Well, brethren, it's uh, good to be with you once again. This is uh, our last lap as we wind up our uh, series of messages uh, on the theme of uh, the glorious kingdom of God. The glorious kingdom of God. Um, all good things must come to an end, and uh, this brief conference is no exception. Well, we, we've been looking at uh, the subject of the glorious kingdom of God um, based on the words found in Romans 14 and verse 17. Allow me to read the context which is from verse 13 once again, um, and may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Romans 14 and verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, that's our text, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What we've done thus far in looking at this text has been to appreciate the meaning of the phrase kingdom. And then from there, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at the one who is the king in that domain. And even as we will be coming to the end of uh, our mini-series, we will want to get back there. Because ultimately, the kingdom of God is not about us. It is about the king himself, God. It is about the glory of God. And that is one way in which there is the transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's own light, it is when as a sinner abandons self-centeredness and instead moves to God-centeredness. And it's also a way in which we grow and mature in the things of God. It is as with the passing of years, there is less of us in our thinking and in our plans, and more of God 
in everything that we do. And so we will be back at this center of the kingdom, God himself, as we'll be wrapping up this evening. But we also went on to see uh, what this kingdom life was all about and then the negative aspect of its distinctive uh, nature. And so we saw that it is not a matter of eating and drinking. And brethren, unfortunately, a lot of times when the church is being threatened with uh, disunity, uh, splitting into splinters, it is often around the eating and drinking. It is often things that are to do with externals, things that are to do with our backgrounds. And consequently, we feel strongly that everybody must be um, like products of a Chinese factory. In other words, all of us being exactly the same uh, on, on the outside. Um, that's not what the kingdom of God is like. We went on to see last evening what it is like positively. And we saw that it is about righteousness, about peace, and about joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, we need to emphasize that because this is what the evil one cannot produce imitations of. This is something that only God is able to do. And as we shall be seeing this evening, he is able to do it by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Well, we're wrapping up our mini-series with uh, the dynamic personality of the kingdom. In other words, who is it who ensures that what we have been looking at as the uh, distinct peculiarities of the kingdom, um, that these are realized. Who does this? Now, to some extent, it, it's the individuals that are ministering. In other words, with respect to people coming into the kingdom, it is that person who shares the gospel, who preaches the gospel. And when we come to Christ, we are really grateful for that individual who took the time and trouble to bring the gospel to us. It's also the same with respect to our own spiritual growth. We are dependent on those who preach God's word from the pulpit. We are dependent on uh, the books that we read uh, that have been authored by individuals across history and many of us can remember either a sermon or a book that we read that catapulted us into higher levels of Christian thinking, Christian affections, and indeed Christian growth. So there is a lot to be said for the human element. In fact, um, the, the statement in verse 19 um, in fact, 18 and 19 points at the, the human element. We read there in verse 18, whoever thus saves Christ is acceptable to God 
and approved by men. So it's fairly clear that it's human instrumentality that is being used. And even in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So again, it is believers ministering into one another's lives. But if we stop there, we make a grave mistake. We are not the primary person that in fact push the progress of the kingdom of God forward. We are not. It is God himself and it is God through the person of the Holy Spirit. When we lose sight of this reality, often we end up taking the law into our own hands, as it were. We end up fighting with one another where, in fact, we ought to take two steps backwards and see God himself at work. And this is what would have been true in the context of the church in Rome and no wonder the Apostle Paul brings in the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then the Apostle Paul says, but not to quarrel over opinions. Why should we be quarreling over opinions? Well, it's because we think it's up to me to convince this person. And as long as he's not listening, I'm going to make sure he listens. <laughs> and in the process, we ride roughshod over one another. We leave one another with raw nerves because we've been wanting to make sure that this person not only learns, but really changes the way in which he or she is living. Well, brethren, this evening, I hope you'll be convinced to look away from yourself for a moment and realize that there is another with a capital A who is at work and he is omnipotent. He is the all-powerful one definitely more powerful than you. In our text, at the very end of the text, we are told that this righteousness and peace and joy, they are in the Holy Spirit. And I want us to begin by asking ourselves the question, who is he? Well, he is the dynamic person in the work of creation and the work of recreation in the Godhead. You will recall when we were looking at Genesis chapter 1 and came to verse 2 that this person, this being, was already being named in the context of creation. The Bible says there, Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then we read these words. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In other words, he was already the one through whose power creation came into being. Played an all-important role there. But with respect to salvation, we should also notice that he was very active in preparing the Son of God in order that he might carry out that historic, significant work of redemption that took place 2,000 years ago when he came on earth. Let me quickly give you a rundown of some of the the approaches involved in, in bringing Jesus to be the appropriate savior that he was as the great God-man to bring us to salvation. The Bible is fairly clear that he is the one who enabled the virgin birth. That he, the Spirit of God, is the one who worked upon the womb of Mary in order to conceive the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty miracles that he was involved in in this life, the Spirit of God was the one who anointed him and consequently enabled the man, Christ Jesus, to do the mighty works that he did. The Bible also tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary, he was enabled to endure the excruciating pain that he underwent at Calvary, and more specifically, the very wrath of Almighty God that would have sunk him beyond the valley of death, he was upheld by the Spirit of the living God. May I also add, finally, at the very beginning of the book of Romans, that when Jesus had died, it was by the power of the Spirit that he was raised from the dead. And this one, if you could just quickly turn with me to Romans 1 um, and verse 4. Romans 1 and verse 4. Notice there the statement that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you can see that the Holy Spirit played an all-important role in that historic event without which there would be absolutely no salvation. He is the one who enabled the Son of God to be the Son of Man 
that through him we might receive this great salvation. And when you look at all that we have just spoken about, his work in creation, his work in enabling the Redeemer to carry out his work with victory, we can't help but to see that indeed this Holy Spirit must be all-powerful. All-powerful. Allow me to add that he is the one who caused all the prophets across history to speak the word of God in generation after generation. He not only inspired them to speak, but he also inspired them finally to write down, to pen what we now have as the Holy Scriptures. The Bible tells us in Second Peter and chapter 2, rather, Second Peter chapter 1, and right at the end of that chapter, these words. Second Peter chapter 1. I begin from verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Now, this is true prophecy. It never came from the will of man. But listen to this. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is the being that is being spoken about as the one from whom righteousness, joy, and peace come into our lives. It is the third person of the blessed Trinity. He is God. He plays the role of which has cuter. In other words, carrying out that which has been decreed, that which has been covenanted by God the Father and God the Son in our salvation. Having seen who he is, and having seen the wider work that he has done in creation, and also in providing a savior for us through his humanity, we need to now look at the role that he consequently plays in us in order to produce this righteousness, peace, and joy. Remember, the three are in the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Well, first of all, historically, he is the one who brings about our salvation through regeneration. Through regeneration. The very way in which he gave life to the Son of God when he had died in paying the price for our sin. Well, he now does it 
spiritually to us. Because we come into this world spiritually dead. Not spiritually having collapsed or fainted or been in a coma, but spiritually dead, lifeless. And then the Spirit of God gives us life. Earlier, in the book of Romans and chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul refers to this new life in terms of a, um, a circumcision of chapter part. Look at chapter 2 and verse 29. Chapter 2 and verse 29. Listen to this. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And then we are told his praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, this new life that we receive by the spirit of God, at the point of our conversion, when it takes us from being dead and infuses spiritual life in us. This new life is a moral life. It's a life that enables us to be, as it were, cut away, to be removed from that which is earthly, or better still, that which is sinful. We are, as it were, translated to become the people of God. On the first day, when we began looking at uh, the kingdom of God, we, we, we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you remember, verse 9 to verse 11. And one of the things we learned from there was not simply that the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, which we learned there, but more positively, it is that those who have now inherited the kingdom are those who have been washed, who have been sanctified, who have been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This washing, this change that takes place in us by the Spirit of God is what is being referred to here as the circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the heart. And this is what secures the change that we are taking place, we're talking about here. It's, it's a real change. It's a going from death to life. It is the stony heart being removed by the operation of the Spirit and a new heart being put into us. A heart that is malleable. A heart that is obedient to the mind of God, to the voice of God. And where that work of the Spirit has not taken place, 
you can never consider yourself as a person who's tr- person who's a child of God. You can never consider yourself as a person who's translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. You will remember in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to visit Jesus by night. We are told concerning Nicodemus's qualifications that he was a Pharisee, uh, that he was a ruler of the Jews. In other words, as far as outward religion is concerned, he was righteousness walking on two feet. As far as the Lord Jesus Christ was concerned, he was lost. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, after Nicodemus says to him, um, we know that your teachers come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I said to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, amen, amen. I said to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Brethren, we need to be persuaded about this. That the Spirit of God is the one who secures this entry. And he does it by a spiritual heart transplant. A real moral transformation. A giving life to the dead. And so Jesus goes on to say that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The point he's making there is this, that no human being can actually produce a Christian. It's absolutely impossible. Human beings can only produce that which is human. It's only the spirit who can produce that which is spirit, that which is truly spiritual. And that's why he went on to say, do not marvel that I say, you must be born again. Let me ask again. Do we realize this? That it is impossible for us to produce or make anybody a Christian. And that when through us someone becomes a Christian, it is God himself by his spirit in a miraculous way using his omnipotence who has done this. Every Christian is a direct product of the Holy Spirit. And when he does it, 
He's the one, therefore, who secures righteousness, peace, and joy. In other words, all three being true in us as individuals. Not merely legalistic righteousness, where we are trying and trying and trying to live that kind of life but one which is also imbued with peace and joy. In the book of Romans and chapter 7, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Romans 7 and verse 6 in showing this distinction between a righteousness that the Holy Spirit produces and a righteousness which is merely legalistic. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And Paul knows what he's talking about because he was a Pharisee. He's one who says, as far as legalistic righteousness is concerned, I was faultless until God by his spirit drew his attention to one commandment which said, you shall not covet. And he suddenly realized how Ugly, a sink of sin his own heart was. That whereas on the outside, externally, he was righteousness on two feet, on the inside, he was wickedness and evil and sin. Until God by his spirit saved him. And he therefore can speak in terms of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written court. Oh, brethren, we ought to rejoice in what the Holy Spirit has done in us. In that translation that took us from the kingdom of sin and darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's own son. We ought to be grateful that by his spirit, he has done this. In that sense, it is secured, it is done, it can never be reversed. But we need to hurry on because what he has secured by way of foundation, the same Holy Spirit also develops by way of superstructure. And so we are enabled to go from one degree of righteousness to another. From one degree of peace to another. 
one degree of joy to another. Because the one who has begun the work in us will take it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit. So when the Apostle Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, he's not referring to a righteousness and peace and joy that you experienced at the time of your conversion. And then from that point onwards, it can be doubtful whether this is continuing. He's talking about that which has now become a way of life. Just as the issue of eating and drinking is not referring to something that happened at one time, but it is something that is ongoing. And all he's saying is, it's not that. Rather, what is ongoing, that is, the distinct peculiarity of the kingdom is this righteousness, this peace, and this joy in the Holy Spirit. As I wrestled with how I could bring this out, I thought perhaps the best is for us to go to, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's interesting that prior to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is referred to perhaps two times, maybe three times at the most. When you enter into Romans chapter 8, wow, he's almost in every second or third verse referred to. Clearly, the Apostle Paul was answering some question in the previous chapter or two but answering the question by pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit. And in this particular case, it is the Spirit's work of sanctification. The way in which step by step, he conforms us more and more to the image of Christ for the glory of God. And he begins by referring to what he calls the spirit of life, the, the law of the spirit of life. Listen to this, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life, the law, set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He goes on to say, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law, this righteousness, might be fulfilled in us, might be found in us in its full orbed meaning. And then he puts it this way, listen, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, 
what God intended to achieve through the law, which the law itself could not achieve because we were born sinners. God is achieving through what the Spirit of God is doing in those who are walking according to the Spirit. Now, a few things that he goes on to say, I don't have all the time to open this up, but let me at least attempt in the next four or so minutes. First of all, he speaks about the fact that the Holy Spirit controls the mind, or better still, the, 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 the center of the Christian's being. Look at the way he puts it in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. And let's go look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is, and then, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then we come to uh, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. The point that is being made there is that, in fact, the spirit of God is the one who has come into our lives and taken center stage there. Many years ago, when I was still pretty young in the 1970s, uh, there was a, a TV series. I think it's come back now in different forms, but it used to be called Star Trek. In fact, I've never forgotten you know, the fact that in those days, Captain Kirk used to use a cell phone, and we thought, wow, you know, how, how can this be? You know, he's sort of, uh, Scott, beam us aboard. So we are waiting for the beaming part, but at least they're talking on these gadgets now. We are all doing it. But the point was that there was this seat that whoever sat there controlled the entire ship. So there were one or two times when Captain Kirk was in trouble and he had to second somebody else to sit there. And sometimes it was uh, Mr. Spock who would uh, then, you know, be in control of, um, of the ship. Well, brethren, it's the same way with us. The one who is sitting, controlling the center of the Christian, the Omif, is the spirit of the living God the omnipotent one. And therefore, he is leading us in the direction of sanctification. More than that, because of that, he is giving life to our mortal bodies. Verse 11, chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, those fallen appetites that are still there in the members of our bodies, they are being dealt with in such a way that we are knowing more and more victory over them. Spiritual victory. He puts it this way in verse 13. In verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But listen to this. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now notice the little phrase. If by the spirit you put to death. In other words, he is working in us, producing more and more of that righteousness, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. And he is doing so, leading us step by step as individual believers, dealing with the remnants of sin, dealing with the root of sin that still remains within us. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. Uh, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And this leading is in terms of sanctification, being led to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And guess what? As he's doing so, he is also testifying with our spirits that we are children of God. He's giving us sweet assurance. Sweet assurance. He puts it this way in um, verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's why there is the joy. The joy. It's an inner joy. Because the Spirit of God gives us this sense of adoption. That we are truly children of God. And that in the midst of suffering... He says it there, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Still talking about suffering, he helps us in our weaknesses and our failures that we may pray aright. Verse 26 and verse 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for. Things too, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, brethren, what I have done is I've simply taken you to, by the hand and led you through just a few verses in this particular chapter that we might see something of the detailed operations of the Spirit in the soul of a child of God. And the fruit of that on the outside is righteousness, peace, and joy. Growing righteousness, growing peace, and growing joy. It's the Spirit of God who continues to work within. And it's all part of what Paul said at the very beginning, the law of the spirit of life. And the word law is being used there not in terms of legal papers that are signed in parliaments or uh, senates and, and so forth, but it is in terms of the law of gravity. It's, it's the inevitable consequence. If you jump off a building, you don't need anybody to sign anywhere. <laughs> you crack your brains before long, your skull. Because it's the law of gravity. Well, in the same way, the law of the spirit of life is going to do the exact opposite. As long as he is in you, he will defy the gravity of sin and death and take you higher and higher and higher into glory. That's the work of the Spirit. No wonder the Apostle Paul is able to say back in our text, that when you are talking about eating and drinking, come on! You are at a terribly human level. But when you speak in terms of righteousness and peace and joy, you're talking about characteristics that can only, only be present in the kingdom of God. Because there is a dynamic personality there who ensures that these virtues become a living reality. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Oh, brethren, I must hurry on to one or two quick applications that are relevant to this context. First of all, what it means is that the work that God the Holy Spirit has begun to do in your brother and your sister, he will bring to completion. It's a matter of time. Therefore, your duty is to accept your brother and your sister as they are and be patient to see this spirit of God work in them. 
in chapter 15 and the very last verse uh, of this argument of the Apostle Paul is verse 7. Chapter 15 and verse 7. And really, strictly speaking, chapter 15 should have begun with chapter 15 verse 8. But it was human beings that were putting these chapters and verses together. But notice the way he concludes. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Where did he begin? He began with this. Welcome him, chapter 14, verse 1, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, our tendency normally is to take the law into our own hands to say, I will only really have fellowship and pray with and learn together with this brother and sister and so on when he is exactly like me. And until then, I'm going to fix him. And then, of course, we make a mess out of it completely. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't accept with quarreling, but accept as Christ accepted you. Now we all know, we may not want to admit it, but we all know that when Jesus first accepted us in the kingdom, wow, we were a mess. <laughs> He's been busy cleaning us up. <laughs> And thank God he did not do this, first of all. To say, first of all, you need to really be cleaned up, cleaned up over there. And then that's when I'll have dealings with you. No, no, no. Once the foundational element was done by the Spirit, that was it. He took us himself and he's been washing us by his word. Dealing with all the glitches in our life day by day. And Paul is saying, we must learn to do the same in this kingdom. Accepting one another as Christ has accepted us. What it means, therefore, is that we, we should be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of our brother and sister while we are giving them space to grow and mature in grace. That's what it means. Instead of gossiping and slandering one another, especially gossiping and slandering young converts, we should be willing to say, well, I was once there. Let's, let's allow them space also. And sometimes churches can become, instead of being a ladder, they can become a stage. You know, a ladder has at least the first rung, and then you, know, you sort of go up, up, up. And while you're going up, others are also coming to join, and they're going up. That's the way a church ought to be. But sadly, churches can become like a platform. And as we are maturing, we are getting further and further away from the ground, and those who want to come in can hardly join us. 
because we are now so up there that really we are self-righteous Pharisees. So anybody who comes among us and is dressed like the world, we all sort of, oh, who is this? <laughs> no. Our daughters are very unsafe here, you know, with guys like this in this church. You know, and, uh, we don't want them here until, first of all, they have matured for five years out there somewhere. <laughs> then they can come in. Because then we are safe. No, that, that's, they're coming with their background. But trust me, the Holy Spirit in them will keep cleaning them up. He'll keep cleaning them up. And some of those guys will be the most powerful preachers in the next generation. Some of those ladies will be most godly wives to elders and pastors. Godly. The Holy Spirit will do that. But we need to learn to be patient. And then lastly, if we do this, and consequently we serve Christ in this way, which is acceptable to God, approved by men, and we pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, all the joy we will have in seeing the all-conquering spirit building his church before our very eyes. It will be a great joy because we will remember those earlier days when individuals came among us with all the track load of where they're coming from. And we will recall how with the passing of years, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, has been transforming them as we have patiently worked together, prayed together, learned together, saved Christ together. All the joy of seeing the all-conquering Spirit building God's church. And then, our little stream with another stream there and another stream there in due season become a mighty river that conquers our city, conquers our nation. Because we have learned that the kingdom of God is not about external. It is about the Holy Spirit transforming human hearts. And he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And ours will be therefore to rejoice in what he is doing among us. Oh, that we might be party to this great work of the conquering kingdom of God. Let's pray. Eternal and gracious God, thank you 
that you've sent your Holy Spirit into this world. And he is at work. We ourselves are testimonies to that fact. For we would not be here tonight if it were not for him. We would not be indeed what we are today if it were not for him. Lord, help us to trust in your spirit's work in the hearts of others that we may see them going from strength to strength and that we provide or pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification. Oh God, glorify yourself through us and through your church we pray. Amen.